Well, you can turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll start with the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, uh, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity, and I ask that you'll put me aside and that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, help us as we open the Word of God and uh, glean some understanding. And I pray with pray for the uh, uh, other messages today, and that you'll bless the services. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I just want to say a few things about myself. Not too many boring facts, but I can tell there's somebody out there like, who is this guy? <laughs> well, believe it or not, I was born in Toledo, uh, raised 10 miles east of here in the German Black Swamp, and uh, been uh, coming to Hope since 1999. Does anybody remember the old building on Glendale? And uh, Pastor Saul was teaching through the book of Revelation. Um, there were brethren in the church, uh, street preaching, and uh, I got involved as much as I could. I was Zeal, no knowledge, just wet behind the ears, and people put up with me, I'm sure. But, you know, I'm glad nobody forbade me to uh, do the things I was doing. I'm glad nobody pulled me aside and said, let me show you a better way, or the old prophet, like we heard about yesterday. Um, I, there was nobody here like that, and I'm still around. That's all I can say. Stubborn as a mule, maybe, <laughs> uh, but uh, maybe it was just nobody... nobody Nobody talked me out of anything, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this opportunity, thankful, thankful that uh, I'm still welcome in a pulpit after 24 years coming to this church, and, um, uh, you know, I've noticed a theme in the, me- in the messages of evangelism, and I uh, feel led by the Lord to just say some things about my views, maybe partic- peculiar views. But my views of evangelism, it doesn't speak for anybody else, but just what I have come to understand after being in Scotland 11 years and uh, noticing what's going on there and what it's like there and um, combined with my experience in America and uh, my calling as a, as a preacher, um, just look, considering all those things and looking at what the Bible says most importantly. I'd like to say a few things about evangelism, but before that I just want to give you some background information. Um, I've been in Scotland 11 years. Um, people ask me all the time, what makes this a mission field? When I was on deputation, I relied on the facts and the, the statistics of uh, religions and things like that and how many people were atheists or if you could find out how many are born again in the biblical sense. Uh, it, it's hard to say. Generally, we talk to people, and they'll, they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist. Don't worry about it. I'm normal. Leave me alone. That's the, the attitude over there. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a falling away that's happened over there. There's no doubt about it. And it's been going on for 200 years. 200 years, I believe, uh, the falling away over there. And after being there for the, this amount of time, I've realized you can just look at the finances. I don't know of a Bible-believing church in Scotland 
that can support a pastor. Not a Bible-believing church in the whole country. In fact, in all of Britain, I don't know of one single Bible-believing church that can support a pastor and give him a salary. I don't know of any churches that can support missionaries. In fact, if you were a missionary over there and wanted to go to a foreign field, if you relied on the Bible-believing churches over there, uh, you'd, you'd just have to come to America to go to enough churches. I mean, how many hundreds of Bible-believing churches here can support a pastor, can support missions? Over there, it's, it, it's just financially speaking, just strictly that. You can't find, uh, you can't find uh, those needs being fulfilled, uh, which tells me it's a mission field. Uh, you could say America's a mission field too, and that in many senses, yes, it, of course it is. It's a mission field everywhere, and there's a need everywhere. But America can still send missionaries. And in that sense, you know, what makes it a mission field? Of course it's a mission field. <laughs> There's many countries that are mission fields. Jesus said, go pre- teach all nations. And that was the verse he used to tell me to go there. But uh, enough, enough about myself. The, the, the first and second great awakenings were taking place in America. <clears throat> and... Uh, that led to the uh, revivalist days and the circuit-riding preachers, men like Billy Sunday. And even here in Toledo, there was a great big tabernacle built for Billy Sunday, evangelistic meetings. And then it led into televangelism and Billy Graham and all those kind of things. And uh, at the same time in Britain, you had the uh, Age of Reason taking place with Thomas Paine. And in Edinburgh, Scotland, there was David Hume, the father of modern agnosticism. Uh, you can see a bronze statue of him today in Edinburgh, Scotland. He's got his foot on the Bible. And people come and they rub his toe. There's a polished off spot where they rub his toe for good luck. And uh, it's a, there's been a falling away. And at the same time that the awakenings were happening in America, that was happening over there. It led into you know, Darwin. He's from England. And he studied in Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, you've got this postmodernism. That's been going on all this time, which led into um, atheism, an atheistic culture. And they say atheist, they really mean agnostic. They don't know if there's a God. Maybe there's something out there. You hear things like that. But um, when I got there, people started calling me an evangelist. And I, I was thrown off by that at first. Like, well, I'm a, I'm a missionary. Uh, you know, I'm trying to start a church, a pastor, and these kind of words we use. But people were calling me an evangelist. Because I was preaching the gospel in public. There's nowhere else to preach there. Our first Sunday meetings in Scotland were in the town we lived in. I tried to do a chalk talk and even got a few people to sit down and listen. But uh, kind of desperate, really. And I've taught Sunday morning services to my children, three, four, five, six years old, uh, listening to me at the kitchen table. That went on for a couple of years in Scotland. I mean, if it's a mission field, it's a mission field. I'm not going to go there and try to... Uh, steal people away from somebody else's work. If you're starting from nothing, you're starting from nothing. And you go there, Bible in hand, fight like a man. That's all there is to do. And uh, if, if it's a mission field, that's what, that's what needs to be done. It's, it's the plowing work. Um, <clears throat> so as a missionary, I, I believe in indigenous missions. Indigenous. What does that mean? The, the people need to be able to not rely on American funds. And uh, if you're starting to work, it has to be something that's sustainable by working men. Knowing when I'm going into it, there does not exist a church that can support a pastor in all of Britain. I mean, I could believe in the miraculous and think that, okay, we're going to 
set it up just like America so that we, this uh, church, we're going to do the church building thing and, and get a big church going. I, I could hope for that, but that's not that realistic in my mind based on what God showed me in the Bible. So I, I, I want to be, I, I'm careful not to set up something that cannot be sustainable by the working men and, and women that are uh, going to keep the thing going after I leave. I have no intention of staying. God called me as a missionary uh, evangelist to plant churches and hand over churches. I don't want to sit on a pastorate till the day I die. I want to keep trying to start more churches. Uh, I, that's just what I believe. And so I, I have to be careful not to try to set something up that cannot be sustained or carried on by the people who are there. If there's no churches that have that kind of a thing going, big churches, I mean, um, uh, why, would I, why would I try to do that? Anyway, the, uh, the Lord, uh, the, our, our, we raised our support um, in 2008 based on the cost of living. And I got six boys, and now they're teenagers. Uh, we came back for a month for my son's graduation, and uh, um, hopefully we'll do, be able to do that for the, the other boys coming up. We're kind of at a critical... You see the, uh, the, 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 the inflation has happened and the finances, you know, everything's lopsided. Now I'm working full-time, mostly work for myself, but I'm a working man. The Lord did that, and uh, I'm, I'm a working man. I'm trying to keep a church going. You say, what kind of a church? 20 to 30 people on a good day, and uh, sometimes it's between 15 and 20, and it's been that way for six or seven years now. We started in Glasgow, Scotland, the biggest city, two million people, no Bible-believing churches, um, <clears throat> and it's... Uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, in, in the city center of Scotland, and of Glasgow, Scotland. And so we're, uh, we're, we're, we're there trying to get something started, and it's a, it's a backward, backward kind of place when you look at what's happened with the falling away evolution and all these things being taught. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> They started calling me an evangelist when I got there because I was preaching on the street. And the word over there in Britain simply is used as public preacher. And if there's any doubt about that, the uh, Britannica definition is a preacher who tries to convince people to become Christian. That's the British dictionary. The American Merriam-Webster says a, a Protestant minister who preaches at special services. And so the word evangelist has come to mean something a little bit different. So I'm just looking at, if we go back to the Bible root of the word, what does it really mean? And there's a difference in Spurgeon's. Any fans of Spurgeon out there? I love Spurgeon's lectures to my students. Uh, I've read it a number of times, and there's two chapters in lectures to my students dedicated to open-air preaching, they called it and street preaching. It's just one of the obvious opportunities over there, more so than it is here because of the way the cities were built there. Uh, we've got our shopping malls and our roof-covered uh, high street. Basically, all the shops are indoors, and it's private property. You can't go in there with a Bible and start preaching unless you want to get kicked out or arrested. Uh, but in Scotland, you still have those high streets where there's, they close the traffic to, to the, the pedestrian zones, and it's only people walking. It creates a, cre a quiet public space 
Uh, it's, it's not private property, and you're allowed to preach the gospel. It's a wonderful opportunity. And it's that way in Europe as well. Uh, but that's because of the age. I mean, we're talking a couple thousand years of human history, three or four thousand years, rather than uh, just, uh, you know, Western civilization, I should say, um, of the last uh, 300 years or so in America here. Uh, so they built things a little different here. Anyway, um, what is an evangelist? Now, the object of this message is to get to the root of the word. Uh, for some, maybe, to reconsider an area of ministry that you've overlooked or written off. Maybe just based on the opinions of others. I think there's people out there like that. There's men called to preach, I have no doubt. There's men called to preach who have... Put that in another category, like it's not... Why? Because the phone's not ringing off the hook to uh, go pastor at a big ministry, and nobody's asking you to come preach special meetings as an evangelist. Maybe God hasn't made it clear what mission field to go to in a foreign country. And there's men out there called to preach, just as called as any of us, to do a work for God, and uh, they're confused about what an evangelist is. And I, I think uh, it, it wouldn't hurt to look into what the Bible says about evangelists. Uh, maybe there's some things we've neglected. Maybe the, some things we've overlooked or ignored. Maybe there's things that we just felt wasn't relevant to today. Just old-fashioned. It's just, uh, uh, the Lord doesn't, wouldn't use that these days. Um, when I got to Scotland, I realized that every ministry of every religion and denomination of Christianity. Every cult uh, was trying all of the big building methodology of what makes a, a ministry, what, what gets the people into a building. They're all trying that. <laughs> you go to a mission field, if it's a mission field at all, all the cults, all the religions, the Muslims, they copy everything we do except for street preaching. They made a tent next to us. They set up right next to us and in Glasgow, and they, they got the same colored tent. They said uh, something about why Jesus could be Mohammedan and all this kind of stuff. They're giving away free Qurans like we give away free Bibles. They've started doing all this since we've been there. Um, and they copy everything except for the street preaching. But they do it in Birmingham, where it's majority Muslim. They wait till they got the majority. Uh, I'm just saying, every religion is going to copy all the things that builds a church in a foreign country except for that street preaching. That public preaching is the one thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to, let's just look at, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself now, but in that passage of Scripture, I just want you to notice that these are gifts to a believer, verse 8 to 11. you notice these are called gifts to a believer. Uh, there is an order involved in verse 28, and uh, there's, you say, what kind of order? How about the best gifts? That must be the order, because that's what he said in verse 31. He said, covet earnestly the best gifts. So if you look at the first three, you got a, apostles first, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. Now, if you will, turn to Ephesians 4, 11. Remembering that order, the first three there. Now, I don't believe that there is a need for apostles and prophets today. If you think you are one, then most of us would probably laugh at you. And there's all sorts of scripture, scriptural reasons for that, but the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, there was a close to the book of Acts. The signs and wonders, mighty deeds of an apostle. 
uh, the signs were wrought among you, what is an apostle. He gets into the definitions of the meanings of the words, but I think we're left with teachers. That's the best we can shoot for. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. You'll notice he's starting out the same order, but it's not saying firstly, secondly, secondarily. Uh, and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. So out of the third gift to believers, there is the teachers as the third gift. In between it is evangelists and pastors. Evangelists and pastors. Um, so if you notice that, there's only five mentioned in this passage, and these are gifts unto men. Gifts. It's not that everybody has them, not that everybody's the same. But these are gifts that are given unto men in verse 8. It's for the body of Christ, for the edification of the body, uh, for the church in verse 12. That's what it's for. Uh, there's still an order. There's two added in. I just want to look at evangelist because it, it's only brought up three times in the Bible, the word evangelist. And, uh, you know, we have our modern meanings and maybe it means something in Britain, something in America. What does it mean in the Bible? Uh, that's what's most important. Second Timothy 4, 5. This was uh, actually Acts 21, verse 8. Let's start there. In Acts 21... In verse 8, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So you'll notice there's Paul's company. Paul's company. I think it was a company of evangelists. They met together to fellowship. They were working together. Imagine that. Working together. Um, one of the seven, it said, was who Philip was. And Philip's called the evangelist. But one of the seven is a reference to the deacons that were decided upon. And Acts chapter 6, what's a deacon? It was the guy that served tables or did whatever was necessary in a church so that the apostles could give themselves continually to the ministry of the word. Um, so a deacon is somebody that just does what's need, needed to be done. He took care of the physical problems in the church or whatever was necessary, whatever needed to happen, not so much spiritual, but then he eventually becomes an evangelist. Maybe all seven of them became evangelists. And I think Paul could be called an evangelist. He's there. There's also Agabus, the prophet, working along with him. We're still in the book of Acts. Uh, there was still a need for prophets and prophesying, and you'll notice the virgins, the daughters, in verse 9, which did prophesy, uh, even though the women involved. Um, look at uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, and that's the last reference to evangelists in the Bible. And I just wanted to point out that in that one, uh, one man in the Bible is called an evangelist. And we'll look at how he got started in a moment. But I just want to point out in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, 
But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. This was Paul speaking to Timothy, and he tells him to do the work of an evangelist. He also had him pastoring the church in Ephesus for a time. Um, There was preaching involved in verse 2, teaching involved in verse 3. It's all part of ministry, verse 5. So there's different things, and I just want to cue in on the word evangelize and evangelism. Turn to Acts chapter 8, please. And we'll look at how this all got started. I like to look at how things got started. The, the very origin of uh, how things uh, develop. And I think there's something we can glean from it. I'm just, I'm just giving you my personal views on it. And uh, maybe it'll give you some ideas, provoke some thoughts. I think we can't think about it enough. In the state of things in these, these modern times, uh, there, there is a, a need for evangelism. Uh, Verse 3 and 4 in Acts chapter 8, as for Saul, that's Paul, uh, this is before he got saved even, so that's how far back we're going. Philip is rightly called the first, the evangelist. He was the first one. Um, Acts chapter 8, very early in the book of Acts. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They. There's even women involved. They that, apparently, because it was in the context of verse 3. But uh, you have this idea of the scattering abroad. It uses the word abroad. It makes me think another country like Scotland. But, you know, uh, you find yourself in a foreign area sometimes, a place where you Uh, are stripped of all organizational structure. You might find yourself sometime scattered, sent away. Uh, You got nothing, you got nothing there. There's nothing, nothing but a Bible in your hand. What are you going to do with that? And uh, you don't have all the organizational structure. You don't have the, the fellowship of other believers. You have nobody to encourage you. There's, uh, there's just nothing. It's just raw from scratch, just plowing a field, that sort of thing. And you know what I mean. Why did God allow this to happen? Maybe they got too comfortable. Maybe they uh, weren't willing to evangelize where they were. You realize there was thousands that were added to the church in Pentecost. There were thousands in Jerusalem as part of the ministry at this time. And the Lord allows Saul to persecute. And it resulted in the scattering abroad. Um, uh, there was a, they found themselves in a wide open frontier of ministry. So what do they do? They start evangelizing publicly. And you say, oh, well, that's, uh, that's, there's, there's no need for that today. We, we, we're far beyond that. They won't listen. Uh, that, that's, uh, you're going to push people away. All the things, all the, all the excuses. We've heard them all. But what is it to really evangelize? If you got nothing else. And verse 5. It says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He goes to a city. I suppose he was by himself. He goes to a city. I mean, you talk about boldness. When we got to Scotland in the first, uh, I, I was afraid to go to a city. I'll be honest. I was afraid to go to the city. It was big, lots of people everywhere, just in your face, all by myself. What's going to happen? I have no idea what's going to happen. I'll just go to a small town. The first town I preached in was the town of 
another preacher, an old man that had been doing it for 40 years, and he, uh, he encouraged me. And I'll just leave it at that. He encouraged me. We started working together the first couple of years, and I thank God for uh, that man. But, you know, the Lord sent him out by twos. And Philip here, he's starting out apparently by himself in a city, but soon people start to believe the message. He's preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in verse 12. And there was uh, people, they, they all, they uh, said there was a certain man, Sinon, and all the people had gave heed to him. And then it says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, imagine that, maybe he, he converted the whole city, I don't know. It said they all gave heed to Simon, now they all, they all uh, are listening to Philip. But you have this in verse 5, the city. What is that? That's, uh, I just want to say evangelize the most obvious opportunity. Where do I evangelize? The most obvious opportunity. Uh, it was the city. It was where the most people were. It was uh, a place where uh, they could preach. And why preach? How about we park there a while? Why preach? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10, uh, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it also says in the same context, how shall they hear without a preacher? Now you could say, well, we have radio, we have internet, we've got YouTube, we've got this, we've got that, we've got gospel tracts, we've got the Bible, we've got people can read. You know what the difference is with all those things? They have to choose to listen to those things. They have to choose even to read the Word of God. I think the Bible's correct when it says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And it's not that God can't reach a deaf person, amen? He certainly can, but uh, the very seed sown is what I'm talking about, the choice that's made. If they hear it, they don't have a choice. Um, Everything else is a choice. You know, sometimes I encourage myself in the Lord by handing out some tracts before I preach, and I I try to give out tracts, Seven, eight, nine, ten times people reject it. They give me the bird, all sorts of things. And eventually I just tell myself, they're not going to take the tract. They need, to, they need preaching. Amen. They need to hear it because they're not going to read it. And you give them the tract. What if you got 5%? So 5% take the tract. I mean, that's pretty good in Scotland. Five, what if 5% took the tract? How about, how about open it up? First word they read, oh, that I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in this stuff. We don't even know what they think when they take the tract. Uh, you think about 5%. What if, I reach, what if 5% came to a special meeting? I mean, all, of all the people you invite to a special meeting, maybe 5% would come. Let's just say, let's just assume 5% did. Um, what about door knocking, the people that are reached that way? Conversation, website. They've got to click on the website. They've got to click on YouTube. They've got to click on uh, social media. There has to be, in other words, a seed already there. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I just take it literal. And how shall they hear without a preacher? They're not going to. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? So if we think of it that way, I don't know if you ever think of it that way. That's how I think of it. Uh, we've been relying on fruit picking for a hundred years. We really have. I mean, the Great Awakenings, the revivals, all the things that have happened in this country over the years, and that's why we call an evangelist an evangelist, somebody that goes around, and there used to be 
Hundreds of lost people come into a meeting and hundreds would get saved in those meetings. And that's why they call them evangelists at special meetings. But evangelism is given out the gospel. It's a messenger of the gospel. The word angel in there. Just messenger of the gospel. And in the meantime, we've got caught up with these ideas of uh, positions of, and titles of what a person is. And a, a young men called to preach and they write off the very beginning the very essence, the first baby step, which is to preach in public about what God has done for you, the testimony of the believer. What's He done for you? Testifying to the lost, unashamedly, in public, no matter what people think. That's where it begins. That's not where it ends. That's where it begins. And uh, we've been relying on fruit picking of the ministry of others for a hundred years. Now we've got a basket full of rotten fruit. And we were, uh, we're just counting on this to fill churches and fill old buildings. And the buildings are, are not lasting. Why is that? There's no plowing and there's no seed planting. It's just all picking. Picking, picking fruit from a tree that's an old tree. It's a big tree, but it's an old tree. Just picking fruit. Now look at verse 25 in this, con- in this same chapter. Verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now there's a number of them. Uh, one of the problems with street preaching is, uh, what are we just going to have everybody going around doing their own thing? And it, sometimes it can be a problem. You know, maybe you don't want to be associated with a guy with the bullhorn on the street corner, banners everywhere, and he's shouting about hell and stuff, and everybody... Uh, maybe that maybe that looks ridiculous, and it it can be ridiculous, and there can still be a need for it. But you know what? One of the problems is churches don't get involved with it, and churches don't do it as a joint effort, like I think it's supposed to be. And it uh, becomes these guys just lone wolf preachers going around doing their own thing. And here we see an organization developing after they'd been scattered, after they'd been persecuted. They were all on their own. They had nothing to. They had no fellowship. And now they start getting together and they start organizing things. There's more than one invo- involved here in verse 25. It says, they, who's we, who are we talking about? Verse, got to go back to uh, verse 14. It was Peter and John. Uh, they, along with Philip, they were all preaching in Samaria. And it says, in many villages of the Samaritans. Many villages. Where do we evangelize? We evangelize where they live and where they work. That's part of it too. Where they live and where they work. Not just where there's the most people, the best opportunity, but where they live and where they work. Uh, many can be involved. Uh, the, the old and the young. You know what's wrong with young people? Sometimes they're afraid. You know what's wrong with old, old people? They're usually tired. Uh, the, if the young people were encouraged by the old people and the old people were encouraged by the young people, uh, we could work together. And things could be done. Uh, I think that's how it should work. And, you know, there, there's, there's a strength in a young man. There's a strength in an old man. And, uh, there's, gotta be, there's also the need for a starting point. How do you get from the, pulp, from the pew to the pulpit? We've got steps right here. There's got to be some steps involved in, for young men to get into the ministry. Uh, if God placed the importance that he does on the evangelist as a gift... Uh, to be coveted as something that is 
essential for the church, a gift for the church, for the perfecting of the saints, for the, the edifying of the body, if it's that important and it's that high on the list, how do they get from pew to pulpit? How do they get from pew to the street corner? I mean, you can stand on a street corner and hold up a Bible. Next week, you can go out there and read a verse. Next week, you could go out there, read a verse, hold up the Bible, say a few things, uh, give the sense of the verse. And it, it can be baby steps. Uh, there's a need for it. And in Scotland, I know for, for a fact, there is a need for it. And we've got a man now holding the services while we're away for a month, but he's well accustomed to preaching in the pulpit and preaching on the street. month after I met him five years ago, uh, I was out there, we were evangelizing in Edinburgh, preaching the gospel in public. The old man, 80-some years old, his, his name's George, the man that I met and worked with the first couple of years, we would preach in all the towns and villages for um, uh, two to three times a week in those first few years. And, and when Christopher came along, um, he was thinking about preaching, didn't quite have the courage. And I, I, I said, I, I got to... I gotta, Get the train. I'm going to leave you, you two at it. And George trying to preach. He's just, he's, he's still preaching, but he's quiet. His voice didn't have the strength that it used to have. And, uh, I knew Christopher would feel the need. And sure enough, George encouraged Christopher. He said, How about you preach? I'm, I'm getting tired. Preach. And he said, Go on, preach. <laughs> and Christopher started preaching. He's been preaching for five years. He hasn't missed a service. He hasn't, he preaches on the street, he comes to the services, he's excited, he's on fire. If anything, you've got to try to calm him down. Um, <laughs> but he's been holding the services there, and other men in the church as well, preaching. There's got to be a stepping stone in the ministry. There's got to be... So when you, when you write it off like it's irrelevant in our modern world, no use for it, what ends up happening is there's no more stepping stones. Uh, there's, no, there's no pathway into the ministry. And maybe they're not all going to be evangelists. Maybe they'll be uh, pulpiteering pastors of a mega church, <laughs> if a Bible believer had such a thing. Amen? Um, they, they got mega churches in Scotland, too. They got the neon lights, the coffee shop, the popcorn, the rock concert. They, they're trying all that. You know what? They run about 150 people. <laughs> and uh, that's the difference over there. But that's once, once you've been stripped of everything. And no more... Fruit picking can be done. Nothing to pick fruit from. You know, just relying on seeds being sown. Uh, the seed has to come from the hearing of the Word of God. It has to come from the preacher in public. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That doesn't happen in a church. The foolishness. People come to church because they choose to. Even lost people, they come to church because they choose to be there. They don't think it's foolish, they, or else they wouldn't have come. The, the foolishness of preaching, it's only in, in, the, in the open air, out on the street, in public, however you want to do it. It makes no difference to me, just do something. Amen? Um, better than doing nothing. How about uh, for the camaraderie, the unity? That was one of the things mentioned, in, uh, the unity of the faith, till they all come to the unity of the faith. That was the purpose of those things. Uh, it gives a focus. I mean, there's nothing like doing battle with somebody. And the focus is the gospel. You're, you're not fighting for the little 
questions amongst Bible believers that we bicker and fight about. No, it's, it's, it's the, the very core of why you believe what you believe. The gospel itself. Christ died for our sins. And that's what you're fighting for out on the street. You know what that does? It brings a church together. It knits believers together in a way like nothing else can. And I believe that with all my heart. I mean, we have preferences, giving out tracts, door knocking, all those things. They're wonderful things. And there's a need for all of them, but don't overlook, overlook any of them. And street preaching, open air preaching, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it to me, it seems in general, in the body of Christ, and even amongst Bible believers, it seems to be one of those overlooked frontier ministries where that's where all the opportunity is too. But it's because it's been overlooked that's where the need is, in my opinion. And that's what the, where the need is, I have no doubt, in Britain, after getting there, seeing the state of things. How do you compete with a megachurch that's got all the money in the world to produce literature? All the money in the world to invite people to special meetings? And you can't even afford a building in a, in a country like that. The cost of living is so high. And what are you going to do? You can't even afford the tracks. You're going to have a Bible in your hand, and you've got to do something with it. And that's all you have left. That's, that's all there is left after a while. Um, <clears throat> there's many ways to do it. It doesn't have to be one way. It doesn't have to be the guy with the bullhorn, with the banners. Um, we've tried all kinds of things. There's chalk talks. We've tried, I've tried that. I mentioned, uh, you know, one time we had a group of 20 Americans come over there and gave, they gave out free Bibles and they said, uh, oh, we were praying for... Uh, 50 people to come to the meeting, and, and I said, I've already canvassed this town twice, and I didn't get any response. I don't think there's going to be 50 people coming for a free Bible. I just don't. We need to go out on the street in the town and invite the people in the town to a meeting outdoors. Let's not even have it indoors. And, and you know, we did that. We gave out tracts, and 12 people came just who happened to be in town that day. They came to the meeting we invited them to, and there was singing, testimonies, preaching, they sat through, some of them sat through the whole thing at the end, a guy got saved. Uh, we've done things like that, and, you know, people can stand there and listen with, if you've got a group of people to the preacher, and just because there's people listening, others will stop, and they'll listen. All we like sheep have gone astray. You know, they, they'll just do that. They'll stop and they'll listen just because there's other people listening. There must be something worth listening to. Uh, I mean, the, the sky's the limit, man. There's all sorts of opportunities. There's many ways to do it. Um, a man was evangelized in Acts 8.27. But notice how it's the exception to the rule. Philip was going to the cities, going to the villages. He was preaching. And then the Holy Spirit gets his attention about a man of Ethiopia. We've got to look for those individual seekers. They're out there. And there's, there's also a lot of time wasters out there. <laughs> Beware of the time wasters. But there's individual seekers out there. They're probably people that have already heard something along the line. One time a lady listened to preaching in Edinburgh. Preaching on the street. Everybody walking by. Don't care. Some curse you out. Doesn't matter. One lady stops, listens for about ten minutes. And when I was finished preaching... Um, it comes to pass, she tells me about when she was eight years old, she heard street preachers in New York City. This was 20 years ago. And she said, that's the reason I stopped to listen. I never forgot about that. And you know what? It was, it was like as simple as any, it was just as natural as can be. I just led her to the Lord right there. She was ready to get saved. 
there's seekers out there because seeds have been sown. And if there's no preaching, the seeds aren't sown. Why are we in a mess today? I mean a mess. Because seeds haven't been sown. Everybody's been fruit picking for a hundred years. Um, <clears throat> there's individual seekers. It's a duty for every believer to reach the individuals. That's not, I don't think that's quite the same thing as the gift of evangelism. 2 Corinthians 5.18, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. A verse before that, in verse 18, said he's given to us, who is us? Any man that's in Christ, anybody that's in Christ. You ought to be able to testify about what Jesus Christ has done. Uh, and you're in the ministry of reconcili- reconciliation. Every believer in here is in a ministry. You've got a ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. So I think uh, the personal work is everyone's duty, and it's included in the gift of evangelism. Um, if evangelism is a gift, it's something that God has given to the church through people, individuals. Uh, it includes all these things. And lastly, in verse 40, it says, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I know there's a lot of verses, and I'm speeding through things for time's sake, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot said in there. We know the story of how he went to Acts, uh, sorry, Isaiah 53 with the Ethiopian eunuch. He said, uh, Believest thou? And he preached unto him, Jesus, uh, that man got saved. Amen? What does Philip do after, after that great story in the Bible? He goes right back at it. What is it? It's the work of an evangelist. Uh, why is Philip called the evangelist? Because how he got started out. What he started out doing. And others followed him. Even Paul, I suppose, followed him. And uh, what was Paul's company? It was a company of evangelists. It was men who were going and planting churches. Nowadays, we got church planters, we got foreign missionaries, we got evangelists, we got pastors, we got preachers, and just all sorts of things. But in Bible times, there was only those ones we read about. Pastors, teachers, evangelists. And the evangelists needed to... What if people got saved? What if people believed? It said some believed, some didn't believe. What if they believe? Okay, now they need fellowship. They need a church. They need somewhere to go. Uh, they need to be able to develop. They need a pastor. And so the evangelists would have to temporarily maintain these new churches that were planted and provide pastoral care. And uh, so that, that's just how I see it. And I believe it with all my heart. It's something I think about all the time because of what I'm doing in Scotland. But, you know, I think if, if we all were considering things, maybe there wouldn't be so much confusion. Maybe there wouldn't be so many men that are, know they're called to preach. Lord, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? And they sit in a church for the rest of their life and can't figure out what to do as a preacher. And I think that's a sad shame. I think uh, maybe that's why there is such a falling away. In verse 40, it says, you'll notice, in passing through, he preached in all the cities. It goes without saying, there's a need everywhere. Say, where? Anywhere and everywhere. There is a need. Um, evangelize anywhere and everywhere. It goes right back to verse 4. They went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere. Everywhere you can. Everywhere it's allowed. Everywhere you, you uh, can do it without getting arrested and spend the rest of your life in jail. How about that? Um, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is a great example a man who taught from a ship on a seaside. 
a man who uh, told his disciples to what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. If you can get on the housetop, preach from the housetop. How about that? I started out when I was 18 years old, preaching on top of a pickup truck. That people coming out after the bell rang in high school. You know, they laughed at me and everything. Some of them got saved later. I didn't lead them to the Lord, but... Uh, you know, feeding of the 5,000... 5, how do you... How do you it said he taught them as well. How do you teach 5,000 people? You've got to lift up your voice like a trumpet, and people are going to scoff. But Jesus Christ did that. There's no way around it. He did that. He lifted up his voice. It might have sounded rude to people. It might have sounded... Uh, unorthodox, but he did it anyway. You know what else he did? He went into the temple twice, if I read my Bible right, on a feast day when all of the Jewish people from all over the place went to, to the feast day and they were all there in the temple. He stands up and says he stood and cried. Jesus Christ did that. I suppose you could hear a, a pin drop after he did it. Um, that, that would have freaked people out, wouldn't it? You know, do that in a modern place. It's private property. You can't do that. I'm not encouraging you to get in trouble or anything. Uh, Jesus was doing that in public property, the temple. Amen? But anywhere that you could get away with it, <laughs> anywhere that it's possible, there's a need. And I'm just trying to provoke thoughts and ideas. Amen? I hope, I hope it's helping. Get creative. You know, you've got to find events. It takes some thought. You've got to look for where is there events. Where is people going to be? Where can I go? Uh, how, where can I get away with it? Uh, maybe tents. You know, we put up a, a tent in Glasgow City Center. We never got permission. Everybody says you have to have a per permission to do that. Nobody's asked a question in eight years of having a tent in the middle of the city, giving out free literature, free Bibles. In the meantime, hundreds, maybe thousands of people have gotten free Bibles. And with every Bible that goes out, we can ask them, do you know what the Bible says about where you'll spend eternity? And things like that. That's all part of evangelism. How about things like block preaching? You ever heard of that? It's not just street preaching. You can go to a neighborhood block, and you can knock on all the doors and tell them, we're going to have a preaching service, a gospel service, at such and such time of day. You're invited, and here's a gospel tract. If you can't make it, you can read that. Uh, we're just trying to get the gospel out, ask people to come to a meeting, and then just start preaching away in a block, even if nobody comes. Uh, there's all sorts of things you can do, all sorts of things I've heard of. And so I'm just trying to get thoughts going, amen? And I think it's something that's just largely overlooked. And when you get to a foreign country or a foreign field, if God calls you to be a missionary, um, you're going to find out that that's about all there is left that hasn't already been picked away. And so it's, uh, it's something that's close to my heart, and uh, with a theme on evangelism, I felt that the Lord would uh, have me to say those things. I'm not representing anybody else but myself. And this is just what I've come to believe after 24 years of uh, serving here in America, as well as Scotland, trying to get out the gospel. So, praise the Lord. I think that's... About all I have to say, Brother Marshall, wherever you're at, amen.